Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Not only is the tongue a world of iniquity, but it sets on fire nature. It can set on fire everything. And it is set on fire by hell. James, why don't you tell us how you really feel about the tongue? I mean, I don't know that he could become any stauncher about what we are saying and how that is affecting people. Perhaps the most powerful words we find in the book of James are definitely used to describe the tongue. James says the tongue is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison, a tool used by the enemy to cause much destruction. No man can tame the tongue, but God can. With an important message out of James chapter 3, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. We all stumble in many ways. John put it this way in the book of 1 John. If anybody says he has no sin, he is a liar. In other words, you're lying right when you said you don't have any sin. I heard a guy say that one time. I was attending a church that was part of the holiness movement. The guy said, I haven't sinned in 12 years. Of course, he broke it right there by lying. He'd been lying the whole time, right? Because we all stumble in many ways. I wish that wasn't so. If there's somebody here who feels like, not me, I'm such a spiritual, mature individual, I never stumble. I don't stumble in any ways, not less than many ways. Well, then the word of God isn't true. Either you stumble in many ways or the word of God is, is not true. And since the word of God is true, we all stumble in many ways. So that's for all of us to consider these things. All of us say, okay, because we stumble in many ways. He then goes on to say, in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, this tells us a couple of things. Number one, one of the last things to finally come into line as the sanctification process is taking place. God is sanctifying you. He's making you more and more holy. You are sanctified in position with Christ immediately when you're born again. You're made righteous and you're sanctified. You're set apart. You have eternity, but you are being sanctified by his word. He's working out righteousness in your life. He gives you a position of righteousness and he's working righteousness out within your life as time goes on. One of the last things to finally come around is the tongue. Because if a man has his tongue bridled, he's a perfect man. That means you've gotten all your conduct taken care of and now your tongue is controlled. Also, that if you want to control your conduct, which we're going to get to by verse 13, if you're going to control your conduct, then you do that by controlling your tongue. In other words, if you take this serious enough to say today, you know what, I really need to consider the things that I say. I need to consider how I talk. I need to consider whether or not I'm gossiping. I need to consider whether or not I'm truthful about people or malicious, judgmental towards individuals. If corrupt communication is leaving my mouth or if I'm encouraging and edifying to people, if you do that, then that's a way for you to correct your conduct by saying, I wanna make sure. If you get your speech in line, then you're not gonna fall off on your conduct because your conduct is directed by your speech. We could go back to your thought life as well to one step before that. If you can bring your thought life together and then control what you say and then control your conduct, then you're able to live a life that is worthy of what God has called us. So this is for everybody because everybody stumbles in many ways. 
and everybody says things that they shouldn't say. So what's about to be shared is for us all. He's able to bridle his whole body if he doesn't stumble in what he says. I got to say also, the Bible says with many words as much sin. The more you talk, the more sin you're likely to have with your words. When I drive home after the last service on Sunday, I do five studies on Saturday night and Sunday morning. And then I get on the freeway and I head home. I stop by Whataburger on the way home and then I go collapse in my recliner. That's my Sunday afternoon until I finally recover sometime in early afternoon and I'm able to get up and go do something. But while I'm driving down the freeway, I cannot tell you how many times I'm beating myself on the head saying, why did I say that? Why did I say that? And the crazy thing is I won't say it in every service. But all of a sudden, in one service, a lot of times the last service, I seem to let my guard down. This is the last service. And end up saying something I regret later on. If you can not stumble in your words, you're a perfect man, able to bridle your whole body. He then goes on in verse 3. Now, the first thing he did was tell us that, that our words have the power to condemn, and all of us have a problem with our tongue, so that's a scary place for us to be, Right? Since we all stumble with our tongue and words have that power to condemn, we're in a scary place. And then verse three, indeed, we put bits into horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large, they are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member, boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Three analogies for our tongue. Number one, a bridle. It's just tiny. And you guys ride horses? You put it on that horse's tongue, which is interesting, right? Put it on that tongue. Then you can steer that horse, at least that's the idea, wherever you want that horse to go. The ship, rarely do you get by a ship that you aren't impressed by the size of ships. But there's a small rudder that steers that ship wherever it goes. And finally, the tongue is like a fire that when it kindles it, the fire can spread. He doesn't say the tongue is like a glass of water. When you pour out a glass of water, boom, it just pours out. It doesn't keep going until everything's flooded. But a fire, it's like a spark. It can start and burn down a forest. It can start and burn down a town. Your words are like a little spark that can start and burn down someone's life. Now, if the first thing he says to us is that our words have the power to condemn us and we all got to be careful because we all stumble in these things, the second thing that he tells us is that our tongues direct our lives. Our tongues are small. I, I read a commentary years ago on this passage that said that the tongue weighed two pounds. I looked it up today. That's an urban myth. The tongue, and you think about it. I mean, think of a two-pound fish. Those of you guys that are fishermen, Think about when you catch a two-pound fish. That's not that your tongue. It's a two-pound fish, right? So it really wasn't right. The tongue is about two and a half ounces. Maybe it was a typo in that book. I don't know. That's the male tongue. The man's tongue is about two and a half ounces. The woman's tongue is two ounces. And yet it has this potential to affect your life in catastrophic ways. And it has the potential to affect your life in great ways. The words that you say to your children, the words that you say to your husband, the words that you say to your wife can affect them in either a devastating way or in a great way. So even though the tongue is small, even though to us it feels like it's just a small thing, it's just what we say, it's just our words, they're only words. Well, your words will go on forever. 
Your words, once they're said, are out there, literally, because the words are like vibrations. And it's said that they go on into space to infinity. And if you had an instrument, you could go out in space, if you could go to the right place, and you could pick up the words that people spoke a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago. Here's the thing, though. God has that instrument. He's able to pick up every word that we have said. So it's important for us to say when words go out that are wrong, when we say something that's destructive, to say to people, I'm sorry. To quickly turn, to quickly repent, to turn from those destructive things because they can set a whole forest on fire. Just little words. How destructive are they? Well, it's like a bridle in a horse's mouth. It's like a rudder on a ship. It's like a spark that starts a fire. Now, in these next two verses, we get the, the idea that James is not happy with the things that people are saying in the early church. It's funny. We often go back to the early church and say, we want to be like the early church. We want to be the first century church. Calvary first century church. That's a good name, right? We want to be like them. But James is really upset. And that becomes evident by this. James is upset at some of the things that they're saying. Look at what he says in verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. He says it's not just like a fire. It is a fire. A world of iniquity. A world of iniquity. A, the word, we get our word cosmos from this word cosmos. It is a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among the members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. Not only is the tongue a world of iniquity, but it sets on fire nature. It can set on fire everything. And it is set on fire by hell. James, why don't you tell us how you really feel about the tongue? <laughs> I mean, I don't know that he could become any stauncher about what we are saying and how that is affecting people. He goes on to say then in verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. You ever seen a bear stand on his head in a circus? You ever seen somebody put their head in the mouth of a lion? You ever seen somebody put their head in the mouth of an alligator? You could call that person stupid, I think. You ever see um, chimpanzees riding bicycles or, or whatever they do? All these animals have been tamed. But the tongue, look at verse 8, but no man can tame the tongue. That means your tongue is like, your tongue is like a wild beast that can't be tamed. It's always out of control. It's always saying something it shouldn't say. It's always got that potential to be set on fire by hell, to become a tool of the enemy, which isn't, don't you think that's what he's saying when he says to be set on fire by hell? that the enemy can come in and use our tongues as this tool to tear someone down. Now, God can tame the tongue. That's where he goes. He goes to a place that is incredibly practical here in a minute. Before that, he has a couple more things to say. <laughs> it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You can handle every animal that's out there. You can tame them, but your tongue can't be tamed. It is unruly evil. It is full of deadly poison. Now, if you haven't got the point yet that your words are dangerous, very hard to control, and that it's wild, 
then I don't know that you'll ever get it. If you haven't got it by this point of what James is saying, I don't know that you will ever get it. You will ever really grasp it. He says, with it, we bless our God and Father. Talks about this irony. And with it, we curse man who's been made in the likeness or the similitude of God. It says good things and it says bad things. There's a, uh, I, I need to talk about this a little bit. There's kind of a common thing happening now. It started with just a few people who really wanted to be, I, I'm persuaded, they just wanted to get on YouTube. And so they cussed from the pulpit, knowing someone would take that, maybe themselves even getting it on there and putting it on, knowing that it would get a lot of hits and they would gain their 15 minutes of fame. Listen, if you've got to get 15 minutes of fame by doing something that is a stunt, you know, I remember Pastor Chuck saying something years ago. He said, the best pastors out there are usually guys pastoring small little churches and small little communities that could care less about being known by anybody. They're just faithfully caring for the people that they have been given to care to. And if you've got to be known by cussing from the pulpit, another thing that, that, that they do is get vulgar about sexual things say vulgar things uh, again i'll quote charles swindoll or, or i'll at least tell you what charles swindoll said without quoting because i don't have it exact but charles swindoll said can't we when we talk about sexual things in the bible can't we just be classy about talking about it instead of being vulgar that we even have to talk about that today hey there are there are things especially like in song of solomon there are some things that are just hard to talk about I, i've taught the song of solomon twice I'm hoping Jesus will come back again before I have to teach it again. <laughs> but I am always embarrassed when I talk about it because it gets very blunt about sexuality and about what God wants. And it's like, it is embarrassing. I turn red, I'm sure, when I'm talking about it. And I, I do it like a machine gun teaching. I just figure it's got to be said. Bang, 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 bang. Let's just say it. Let's just get it out there. Let's say it. And let's move on. But here these guys talk about their own sex lives. They talk, they just say things that are inappropriate for the pulpit. How is it that we can say the pulpit that ought to be a place where the tongue should be guarded the most? Here in town, there was a high school teacher in a Christian school who cussed at the students as a point of arrogance. I can't think of any other reason. Try not to judge him, but I can't think of any other reason that you would get a room full of high school kids and you would curse at them. I heard about him before my children were in their class. And then once my son was in the class, it happened then. And then I felt, now I need to call him and talk to him. Now we need to talk about why are you doing this? I don't know that I ever got to the bottom of it. Why would you curse in front of kids and then defend it? To, to this day, some of those kids in the class feel like it's okay to cuss. Why would you defend it? Ephesians says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. And those that try to say, well, Paul used the word dung in the Bible, which is literally the word poo-poo. And so Paul used a bad word. Listen, are you, a, are you a Greek expert? Can you go back and say that that was the vulgar use of the term? We have ways, if we need to talk about poo-poo from the pulpit, we have words like poo-poo that help us. <laughs> so we don't have to say things that are crass, right? Just because a word is there doesn't mean we use a crass word just to get attention, just to have people be able to, to talk about us and say things about us. I think it goes back to the, what we were talking about in verse one, let not many of you desire to be teachers. 
Are these guys that have to do stunts in order to be known and seen, are they really there because God called them to be there? I, I don't know. God's the ultimate judge of that. But boy, huh, I certainly wouldn't want the things that I say. I have a hard enough time with the things that I say without much less planning to say something that's going to get me in trouble eventually. Now he goes on to say, with our, with our mouth we bless the Father and we curse men. And then verse 10, out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. So there is this hypocrisy that is within the church. The speech of a Christian is different than the speech of a non-Christian. If you have become a Christian and your speech hasn't changed at all, if you are not convicted about curse words or dirty jokes or whatever else that you might be saying or doing, then that tells me that you don't have a real commitment to Christ, which is really the whole topic of the book of James, right? The whole book of James is how you and I can know that we are approved by God. And so when we are true Christians, our speech is different. However, because the tongue is so wild, because we all stumble in many ways, because we all say things we shouldn't say, then we also have to give an effort to clean up our tongue, to watch what we say, because it is so devastating. We are different, but, but what kind of hypocrisy is there if we curse and bless at the same time? He says, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. That's a good place for him to go. I'm glad he doesn't leave there. I'm glad he doesn't go on without getting right down to the course of application. He says in verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives and grapevines, bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Again, he uses three analogies. Can a spring have bitter water and fresh water? You're gonna go up to a spring, be able to reach down part of it and get fresh water from it and part of it get bitter water from it. It's either gonna be bitter or it's gonna be fresh. You walk up to a fig tree, it's not gonna give you grapes. If it does, then you have found something spectacular. Or a, or a grapevine doesn't have figs on it. It produces, a grapevine produces grapes, a fig tree produces figs. And so if you are really a born again Christian, if your life has been transformed, then filth isn't gonna come out of your mouth. In other words, it becomes a test and then salt water and fresh. You don't find a pool of salt, fresh water. It's either salt water or it's fresh water. If you have these vile things that are coming out of your mouth, these things ought not to be, but they also help you to know what's in your heart. They are an indicator because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what he's saying. So that if we want to change our speech, it can't be changed by somebody saying, these things ought not to be. It can't be changed by me, Gomer, piling you or myself today. Shame, 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 right? We can listen to this teaching. We can walk out of here and be like that man that looks in the mirror and doesn't walk out and change things. So how do I change my heart? If I, if I go, okay, I am a gossip. All right, I am malicious towards people. I do tear people down. All right, I do get out of control and I start to curse. What do I do? Well, you got to change the heart because that's an indication of what's in the heart. How do you change the heart? By calling out upon God. By falling on your face before him and saying, God, change my heart. The psalmist prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Try me and know my ways and see if there's any wickedness in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It is only God who can lead you in the way everlasting and can search your heart and see what is there. Your words become a revelation of what's really taking place inside of you. Telling filthy jokes all the time? That's what's in the heart. You can get up, you can say, it's not, man, you're judging me, man. Whatever. That's what's in your heart. That's who you are. With the kind of things that you say, reveal where your heart is. And if your heart is hard, or your heart is weedy, or your heart is rocky, as Jesus told us in the story, not like rocky, like you're rocky, but rocky as in rocks that are in the ground. Jesus told us in the parable of the seed, of the word of God that's planted on hearts. If your heart's hard or weedy or rocky, then you gotta call out to God. Break up the fallow ground of my heart, O God. Get the weeds, the cares and the worries of this world that are choking the word of God. Get rid of them. That's my heart. Only God can take care of it by falling down before him, pleading with him that he'd make the change in your heart. By doing that, your speech will change because what's in here is gonna come out. As your heart changes, as your heart becomes more godly. In other words, this is again like a mirror. It's like a revelation to us. So that when we hear these things, we don't just go, yeah, the tongue's pretty bad, and yeah, we all blow it, and yeah, I blow it too. And we examine ourselves, and we examine our hearts. He then goes on to say in verse 13, and this is a, we'll we'll cover 13 next week as well, because it's the introduction to the next topic. The next major topic is, as Christians, we need to live by wisdom. For the rest of the chapter, we're going to talk about the importance of wisdom in our life, what wisdom is, and how we're to live. But he makes a transition statement here that's important for us, and we'll close with this. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? you? You have a heart that's producing these words that are ungodly. Who's wise and understanding among you? Let him show good conduct that his works are done in meekness and wisdom. Our conduct will follow our words. The words are like a rudder that drives our lives. When your heart gets right, your speech gets right, and your conduct follows and gets right. You can't go backwards. You can't pull your conduct together to get your speech right, to get your heart right. Get your heart right, to get your speech right. Then in wisdom, your conduct changes. Where do we start? Father, help us. God, forgive me. Help me, give me a right heart and let our speech continue to be a gauge as to whether or not our hearts are right. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you here for the direction of your word. Our tongues are so devastating. They have the ability to to cause judgment in our own lives. And for those who know your word and teach it, a stricter judgment they're like a spark that sets things on fire. And Lord, we want to we wanna be that man who has control over his tongue, who bridles our tongue and what we say, not just letting everything kind of gush out, but really controlling it. But Lord, we, we realize that it's an issue of the heart. And like the psalmist prayed, search us, try us, know our hearts and where there's wickedness in us lead us in the way everlasting do that miraculous work within us we pray in the name of Jesus Amen 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.